0: You know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about in a vision meeting that a church is designed to be a family. A family that cares, a family that grows, and a family that reaches people together. You know, if we care well for each other and we encourage each other to grow in the Lord, then we'll be better positioned to reach people. You know, I'm really convinced that doing church is a whole lot about doing the fundamentals. Well, as with any endeavor, if you just do the basics well, so if we'll do a great job with the basics, then we'll be well on our way to being the best we that we can be, because that's what it's all about in life, in work. If you can be the best you that you can be, so that's what we need to be—is the best we that we can be. We don't need to be somebody else. We don't need to try to be something that we're not. If we can be the best we that we can be, then we're well on our way to doing what God's called us to do. So in this church, we're going to care to touch. We're going to grow to develop, and we're going to reach to surprise. You know, this is not about programs, right? It's about personal initiative. Because in the end, we're not going to be judged by our programs as a church. We're going to be judged by our person, our willingness to take Personal responsibility for each of these three key areas care, grow, and reach. You know, I honestly believe that our size at this point is an opportunity. Numerically, large churches feel a lot of pressure, don't they, to have a full slate of programs. But our opportunity is that we can be two things. Number one, we can be very personal. You know, you can come in here, and people are going to notice you. They're going to know your name. They're going to greet you. And then also, we can be very purposeful in what we choose to do and what we choose not to do. So today, we're going to talk about care, care in a way that touches people. You know, several years ago, um, when we were back from the mission field, we were on furlough. And uh, my wife and I began to have a series of conversations with our leadership that were difficult conversations, We began to see that we had some differences philosophically. And the way that they interpreted that is that we had differences personally. And so they began to get kind of harsh and and, and kind of power up. And we were at Summit at the time, and they had a new pastor that we didn't know very well. And in fact, his name is Jody Heiss. And so we didn't know him. We didn't know D.D. And I kind of was a little bit apprehensive because I knew that he had been in politics. I knew that he had run for office. And so I was a little bit concerned that we wouldn't share a lot of the same interests and values. But what I remember about Jody and Dee, Dee was, you know, when we would go to them and we would seek them out, they would spend time praying for us, they got to know us personally, they got to know our kids personally, and they cared for us in such a way that really began to touch our hearts. But the rubber met the road, really, when, when Jody had an opportunity. He got a phone call from somebody who had some concerns about me personally. And Jody could have kind of shrunk away and said, oh, I don't don't know the situation. I don't understand. But Jody went to bat for me. Jody said, the people that I know, I have complete confidence in. And so he didn't have to. He didn't have to step in. He didn't have to go to bat for me and for us. But he did. And it touched us in a way that was so personal. And we felt so cared for. And he didn't have to do it. And I'll be forever grateful. I'll never forget it. Never forget it. Now we can all think of a time in our lives when someone cared for us in a way that touched our hearts. In a way that was personal, in a way that made us feel valued and important. And I believe that's what God is calling us as a church to be, is a place where people can come in off the street, come in with all their baggage, come in with all their junk, and feel cared for and be known. And for it to be personal. You know, a church family can be one of three things. It can be a compliment. You know, if things are going well in your life, you've got what you need emotionally, you've got what you need financially. The church is a compliment, right? It's it's enjoyable. I'm glad it's a part of my life. But everything's going pretty well. But for a lot of people, the church is like a supplement, right? It's a supplement for something that you're not getting something that you're not getting relationally, something that you're not getting emotionally, something that's, that's kind of lacking in your life. But for some folks, the church is like a replacement family for something that they don't at all have. And so we have no idea when somebody walks in that door whether the church is going to be a compliment for them, a supplement for something they're not getting, or maybe even a replacement So it's so important what God has called us to be about and to be together, to be every single week. And every time that we're together, we as the church can care in a way that touches people. So the big idea today, and I'm going to let you go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 verses 42 to 47. The big idea today is that God's activity in his church inspired a response in his people. God's activity in his church, it inspired a response in his people. Turn to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Beginning in verse 42. Now this is right after the Pentecost sermons. There's been a huge church growth opportunity. The church went from 120 people to 3,120 people in one day. So they're busting at the seams. And so now there's a description here of what it was like there in the early church at that time. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So the early church was devoted to four things. First of all, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. So why would it be important when they came together as a body to listen to the teaching of the apostles? Well, the apostles had been personally discipled by Jesus. They had spent many days, weeks, months, years walking with Jesus, being taught directly by Jesus. And they were witnesses of the resurrection. They had seen Jesus. They had eaten with Jesus. They had seen the nail scars in his hands. And they knew that he was who he said he was. So this was their primary message to the apostles. It was real simple. Jesus is alive. We saw it, and therefore Jesus is the Christ. Now why is this important for the the band of believers that were meeting with the apostles? I'll tell you why. They were going to need to be reminded that what they believed was true. Because in the early church, their beliefs had consequences. There There were things that happened as a result of them choosing to identify with Christ. And so they were going to need to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that what they believed was true. And so the apostles' teaching, when they met together, every time they would say, probably at some point, guys, it's true. We saw it. We were there. And they were going to need to know that what they believed was true. And they were also going to need to see an example of endurance from the apostles. So the apostles weren't just going to teach. They were going to be an example. And when the hardships came, and when the troubles and the persecution came, the apostles who had seen it and believed it were going to also be an example of endurance, and we still need these things, right? We still need these things. I'm often personally encouraged by teaching and by the example of mature believers. I love it when you sit with somebody and they've walked with the Lord a long time, and they'll tell you they'll tell you both things. They'll say, "You know what? What I believe and what you." seen it. I've lived it. I've endured through it. I've persevered because of it. And so we need that. And they needed the apostles teaching because they had personal contact with Jesus and they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that the resurrection was a fact. Secondly, they were devoted to the fellowship. Now why was this important? The religious leaders were very intolerant of anybody who disagreed with them at that time. You know, so by becoming professing believers, and this is a little bit different for us now, but when they said, I believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, they immediately became cultural outsiders. They were excluded. People began to look at them differently, began to think things about them, began to say things about them, began to treat them differently. So without mutual support and encouragement, you know, this little movement, you know, 3,120, we say, wow, that's huge. But think about the entire population of that area was likely just a drop in the bucket. So without mutual support and encouragement, this little band of believers, there was pretty much no chance that it would survive the first century. In fact, scholars say it's amazing. There's There's no reason that Christianity survived the first century. All the odds were against them. So there must be something to it. It must be true. But So they met together regularly. They needed each other. You know, one of the biggest reasons that they cared for each other is because they needed each other, right? They needed the support. They needed the fellowship. And so they were devoted to it. Thirdly, they were devoted to the breaking of bread. You know, 1 Corinthians 11 indicates that this was likely a full meal. When they got together to remember Jesus, it wasn't just a wafer and a a thing of juice, which, which I enjoy. But it was likely a full meal. And this was all part of this fellowship that they needed. This was an important time to remember Jesus' teaching and Jesus' sacrifice. It was an important time to remember not only Jesus' broken body, but that now they were to function as Jesus' body. And then lastly, prayer. They were very aware that they needed God's help. You know what? When they showed up for church, they weren't putting on a show. They weren't putting on their Sunday best and being seen in the community. You know, my dad's dad years ago told him, he said, Craig, I want you to go to church, and I'll tell you why. Go sometimes, don't go too often. Go to be seen in the community, but don't go too often because they want your money. <laughs> Isn't that sometimes the attitude we have to church? Church is about being seen, being known in the community. But for these guys, they got together because they were in trouble. I mean the odds were stacked against them. From a worldly perspective, they didn't even have a chance. They didn't have a fighting chance. So their obvious need drove them to pray. So are we aware of our needs in that way? To where we're coming to church, not because it's about being seen, not because it's because that's just what you do, but we're coming because we need to be together, because we need God's. So as that first point says, these folks were devoted. God was moving in their midst. They had seen things. They had heard things. They were not going to be the same. And so they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Everyone was filled with all. They saw what God was doing. There were miracles happening. Lives were changing. Wonders and miraculous signs were occurring. But what I want you to notice about this is it was their devotion which provided the context that fueled their sense of all. In other words, them being devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayer brought them together. Scripture says Daily. And because they were together daily, it provided a context. It provided an environment where they saw God at work. And they were moved by seeing God at work. And they were in awe. Can you remember the last time you were in awe of what God was doing in your life in the lives of people you know? But the reason they had a sense of awe is because they were engaged with the body. And therefore they were aware of what God was doing. You know, how else am I going to know what God's doing in your life? How else are you going to know what God's doing in my life if we're not spending time together? And that will fuel a sense of awe. You know, when we're discouraged, we tend to isolate ourselves, right? When you're struggling with something, when you're hurting, when you're upset, you tend to isolate yourself, which leads to more discouragement. But isn't that the way we are as people? We often do the thing that we ought not do. It it brings about the result that we don't want. But we kind of give in because it's easier, because it it kind of feels natural. And that's what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you, when you're upset and discouraged, he wants you to go home, shut the door, close the blinds, shut the garage door. And he he wants you to silence that cell phone. He wants you to shut people. Because when he isolates us, then we're more vulnerable. You know, much of life depends on choosing to put ourselves in the right kinds of environments. Think about it in your life. Can you think of a time when you were discouraged? Maybe it's today. What's your tendency? Huh? Kind of shut yourself off, close yourself off. But God's asking you to reconsider. He's saying if you put yourself in the right kind of environments, then you're much more likely to seek him and be encouraged by other Christians. And what better place than church to rediscover that sense of awe and say, wow, God is at work? If I stay away, I mean, where else am I going to get that kind of encouragement? I'm not going to get it from the television. Not necessarily going to get it from my workplace. Not going to necessarily get it from the school. But if we're together and we're focused on seeing God at work, then we can recover that sense of awe. And that sense of awe is important, and I'll tell you why. Verse 44. They were filled with awe. Verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. These are the most staggering verses in this passage. Something that we can't even imagine is occurring. They had everything in common. They gave to everyone as he had need. You know, worldwide, reciprocity or, you know, you give, I... I give and you give back, that's normal. But that's kind of the goal, right? When you give to somebody, there's an expectation that you're going to receive. But for these guys, they were so excited. God was moving in their midst. God was active in their midst. And their response was, I want to be involved. I want to play a part. I want to make a difference. And so reciprocity wasn't the goal, but it was a natural result that's amazing. A situation where you give to somebody expecting nothing in return. But then very naturally when you have a need, they give to you. And that's what was happening. And it was fueled by their devotion in this sense of awe. So their sense of awe at what God was doing that was as a result of their devotion to the fellowship, it moved them to generosity. And they said, God is it God is at work among us. I can see the evidence, and I want to be involved. So when you see God at work, your natural response is to want to get involved. You don't want to miss out. It's the most exciting thing happening. I want to get involved. Then God moves us to do something unusual, to be generous. So the third point is they were unusually generous. Unusually generous. And we've talked about this before, that care displayed opens the door to persuade. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And when you show it, that opens the door to actually influence people. But an important point here is, though they were certainly generous as individuals, what is most important is that they were generous as a group. And that's what really stood out. Not just an individual who's generous, but a group of people who are generous. I mean, that's not just unusual, that's downright weird. Think about it. Now, I know you will have a wonderful neighborhood over there by the golf course, and this kind of stuff probably happens. But for most of us, people who are not blood-related, sharing with and providing for each other, man, that's just weird. People don't do that. I mean, family does, and sometimes as family, we kind of expect it, right? It's like, you know, you kind of owe this to me because we're blood-related. But can you think of a group of of people who are being generous to each other? Man, that's kind of weird. But it's really interesting. Verse 46. Last couple verses. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So they continued to meet and eat. You know, I can get excited about that. Right? Can, can we get excited about that church meeting and eating? Can we do that? Amen. And they had glad and sincere hearts because they were engaged and they were being moved by what God was doing. They praised God because of what they were experiencing. They were a part of something exciting, something big, something moving. God was doing things and things were happening. And because of that, Scripture says they enjoyed the favor of of all people. Now that's a mystery. is the church. Don't we want to have influence in the community? And how did they do that? How did they do that? So God's activity in their midst inspired both awe and generosity. This was a powerful combination which resulted in the favor of all people. So the next point is they were experiencing the favor of all people as a natural result of their response to God moving in their midst. So here's kind of the pattern that I saw in this passage, is their devotion to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer, it gave them a context for an environment where they experienced God in a way that drove them to feel a sense of awe. Their sense of awe that, wow, God is at work and I want to be involved, moved them to be generous in a way that was unusual. And that resulted in having the favor of all And God himself added new believers. Scripture's clear on that. It's God who added to their number. That's the last point. God himself added to their number. So here's where we get kind of to the application. You know, we are moved by God's activity to feel a sense of awe, to display a spirit of generosity. And as a result, people will naturally view what God is doing amongst us favorably. Right? If we're we're moved by God to be devoted, to have awe, to be generous, then people are going to notice. They're going to say, wow, God is up to something because he's moving people to behave in a way that's really odd and unusual. But it's unlikely that God's going to add, because it's God who adds them, that God's going to add believers to a group where his activity does not result in awe or generosity. So if we're not experiencing the favor of people, we've got to ask ourselves some hard questions. Number one, is God's activity in your life inspiring you to display the kind of devotion described above? Is God's activity in your life inspiring you to be devoted to teaching? When it comes to teaching, are you just kind of like, eh, you know, take it early. When it comes to Fellowship, you're like, you know, if I've got time, then I'll be there. If I don't, you know, sometimes you just can't make it. When it comes to the breaking of bread, you know, which is linked into fellowship, how are we viewing that time together, that remembering Jesus and his sacrifice? What about prayer? Do you feel like you need God's involvement in your life? Are you praying out of a sense of urgency? You know, typically God moves where he is invited. So are you inviting God to work in your life, to fuel that sense of awe? So are you showing devotion? The second question is, do we have a sense of awe when considering what God is doing in our lives, and the lives of others in this body? Do you feel that sense of awe? God is at work in my life. God is at work in your life. And if not, why not? Are you participating in regular opportunities to connect, to be close enough to people to see what God is doing in their lives so they can see what God is doing in your life? I mean, are we engaging in relationships to the extent that people can see what God is doing in our lives? The third question is, is God's movement in our midst moving us to unusual expressions of generosity? You know it's unlikely that you and I are ever going to feel like we have enough. Anybody feel like that? Who's got enough? Nobody feels like that. We could always use a little bit more, right? But I tell you what, when I'm aware of what God is doing, <coughs> when I'm engaged with other people, then God moves my heart to understand that I I may not feel like I have enough, but I've got just enough to share. I've got just enough to share. So are we being generous? And then lastly, are, are we a body that God would consider adding members to? This is kind of a tough question. You know, what if what would we do if God moved others to join us? When, when, when they come in, we, would we say, you know what, I'm so glad you're here. But that's my seat. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> That's not us, but it could be somewhere. When we say, I'm so glad you're here, but I'm probably not going to get to know your name. You know, when it comes to who we are, are we the kind of church that says, we're so happy for you to attend, but hey, don't expect that you're ever going to feel like you belong. So are we the kind of church that God's going to want to add members to? You know, God's activity inspired a response in his people. They were devoted to teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. They were filled with awe about what God was doing in their midst. It wasn't hard for them to want to be there. They didn't want to miss it. They were unusually generous that when they saw needs in their body, they were moved to care in a way that touched people in a way that made an eternal difference. And they experienced the favor of all people. Isn't that exciting that if we trust God, if we are aware of what he's doing, if he inspires us to respond, because the way that it works is that God's activity inspires a response. And when we respond, then God moves us to have favor with all people and to make a difference in this world. And then God added to their number. May this also be true of us as we extend the kind of care that touches people. The kind of care that was displayed by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who was willing to die for people who didn't even believe in Him. He he was on Calvary for people who didn't even believe in Him. He died for people who weren't even sorry for their sin. So may we follow his example and be the kind of body that cares because we're inspired by God, we're devoted, we're in awe, we're generous. And then we're seeing the favor of all people and then trusting God to add to our number. Pray with me. God, thank you so much for this morning and this opportunity to open your word together and to be moved by the example of the first century church. God, it was a, a ragtag group and they had all... All things were, the odds were stacked against them, God, which drove them to be committed to each other, to be devoted to you, to be engaged in the fellowship because they needed it, to be generous to one another because they were inspired by who you were and what you were doing, and then to enjoy the favor of all people and for you to add to the, their number, God. So I just pray that you would do the same with us. You would prepare us, God. To be used by you to make a difference in our families. To make a difference in our neighborhoods. To make a difference in our workplaces. To make a difference in our schools. God, you are so capable of changing things. If we would just be willing to be aware of who you are and what you're doing. To be engaged and to be responsive to your movement in our lives. It's in Jesus' precious name.